Hello everyone, my name is Jared and I'm the new resources coordinator at the Catholic Center and I am joined today with Father Branson to discuss religiosity. A quick update before we begin, we are relaunching this podcast to a new era with new guests and topics to help students of Christ live in the faith and to give you a resource to continuously revisit in the future. We hope you enjoy the episode. This is the hell of a Catholic podcast. You did great. <laughs> <laughs> I could go redo it later, but I got all the gist in there, which is yeah, fine. You did great. Yeah, so we're going to get started. I wanted to like offer this one in particular and have the next few podcasts as well as just a basic introduction to essentials of the faith and starting with, because uh, I think we're encountering just a ton of people that either have like a completely non-religious background and are intrigued by their friends of faith or people that have had like a really negative experience of any form of faith at all. And so I wanted to have like a basic introduction for all of our students and for their friends as well as like, what is baseline religiosity? Like, what do we mean by that when we talk about like religiosity uh, to be religious and to offer this as like a help to it and also to kind of clear away what I think are like insufficient positions in front of this and something that we can like go back to. So that having been said, I want to like just immediately start and just go into it because there's a lot that I want to talk about with this. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing I want to go to when we talk about this is I always go back to one of the most helpful resources, I think, for this. If people are interested, is this book called The Religious Sense by Monsignor Luigi Gisani. It's a masterful book. It's beautiful. But there's a part in there that I go back to often. It's chapter 10 of the book. And Gisani is saying, he's saying like, Picture yourself being born, coming out of your mother's womb at the age you are now, at this very moment, in terms of your development and consciousness. What would be the first, absolutely your initial reaction? If I were to open my eyes for the first time in this instant, I would be overpowered by the wonder and awe of things as a presence. I would be bowled over and amazed by the stupefying repercussion of a presence which is expressed in current language by the word things. Things, that something, thing, which is a concrete, and if you please, banal version of the word being. Being, not as an ab some abstract entity, but as a presence. A presence which I do not myself make, which I find. A presence which imposes itself upon me. So he's saying your first experience of reality, if you had a consciousness of it, would be wonder and awe. You would be amazed that there is a presence that we call things. You can see it in the eyes of little kids, like this wide-eyed thing when they see something for the first time, or they get really mesmerized by a specific human face or by, by like something, right? And there's like these brief moments that we have of this, of recognizing things as given and being amazed by them, right? And I want to like even talk about like some experiences for us, but I want to hit on just a couple examples of this, of this being awoken to wonder and awe. And really looking at that. And I can think of, first of all, uh, the experience of really seeing the stars. Like when you really see the stars for the first time, like in that experience of it, there's something about it that moves you and pulls you into something deeper where it like opens up a wider world of like, what is this? Right. Gosh, there's so many. Like for me, like music, like when music really, really moves you, any experience of like beauty, right? There's this like, blossoming of the person this like opening up of something greater 
right? When you're in class studying or when, when someone's doing research and they make a discovery of something and in that exact moment where it finally clicks and you understand it, or when you come upon something and you discover it, there is this like moment of elation. There is this moment of like a leaping of the heart and even this desire to like praise something, right? Like, like that, like it, it, it all clicks and like the heart leaps and there's this moment of like overjoy and like being greater than something else. You were like describing a really particular experience. Yeah. So like my big aha moment. It was my first time having a real mountain view experience. I can remember it like it was yesterday. It was, uh, it was two years ago and I was going on a hike with my friends up Blood Mountain in North Georgia, which is an absolutely beautiful hike, by the way, in the foothills of the Appalachian Trail. If you haven't done it before, I highly recommend it. Uh, but we had, we had what felt like was this long, treacherous journey and we got lost a couple of times and all we knew is that we had to keep climbing up. And when we, when we finally got to the top, the trees parted and it revealed this absolutely breathtaking view of the landscape where I actually froze for like a second to take it all in. If you haven't had this before, like I highly recommend going just to see a mountain landscape. It's so beautiful. It was kind of like in that moment, being taken back as I looked over the landscape, I, I realized the world is a lot bigger than I am. And how could, how could something be so beautiful? It's in moments like these where you tell yourself that God exists and you start asking yourself questions of how and why. Yeah. And that yeah. you see that there's a dynamic there of in that moment, it opens you up. Yeah. You feel this energy entering your body and almost like lifting you up. It's, it's almost like a drug in the sense that I continuously return to the mountains to this day, chasing these experiences and the mysticism of God's creation. Yeah, that's it. Like, right. Like there's something in there in that. And I think there's a number of different experiences of this, uh, of like, and I, I think the dynamic is, is something that happens, right. That leads to a something more or a deepening awareness of reality to something greater. Right. Um, a couple other examples, right. The scientist, Dr. Takashi Nagai, really fascinating figure. One of the great like martyrs of science who studied like radiology and died from like radiation poisoning. But he, brilliant Japanese scientist, right? A pure materialist in the sense of he believed that life is just pure matter and that's it. But he had a very specific experience. And you can read about it in the book, Song for Nagasaki or Flowers for Nagasaki. It's one of the two. But he writes about how when he was looking into the eyes of his mother, when his mother was dying, right? He said, and again, he believes that it's just the purely material world. That's it. And he says, yeah, and yet I knew that there was something eternal about her. There was something about her that was greater than just mere matter. And when she died, there was something about her that lasted. And it was a fact in front of him that he could not deny, right? Like that there was this something that was there, which opened him up to a question of like, all right, like, what is this? Um, another example, uh, that I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by is, uh, Monsignor Giussani would always quote this one poem by Giacomo Leopardi. And it's the shepherd, this nomadic shepherd in Asia looking up at the moon. And this is what it says. And when I gaze upon you who mutely stand above the desert plains, which heaven with its far circle, but confines, 
Or often when I see you following step by step my flock in me, or watch the stars that shine there in the sky, musing I say within me, wherefore those many lights, that boundless atmosphere, and infinite calm sky, and what the meaning of this vast solitude, and what am I? So he's looking at the moon, he's completely taken away and mesmerized by it, and with this looking at the moon, like wondering how this could be there, you start asking questions and essentially makes you look back onto yourself and ask questions like why I exist? Why am I here? Yeah, exactly. That's the question, right? It becomes who are you and who am I? Yeah. Which is a fascinating thing. This like opening up. And so when we talk about like basic religiosity, we're talking about that experience of encountering the mystery, which we would say is God. And like, I think starting with the word mystery, capital M mystery is helpful because again, people can tend to impose a lot of images upon God Mm -hmm. or have God from like the popular culture where he's like an angry old man up in the (laughs) sky, like raining down judgment, or he's like lonely and bored and he creates us just to like mess with us. And we almost like inherit these images that are not that don't gel with our experience. And we're just like swallowing these ideas from the pop popular culture. And that's why I want to start baseline experience, right? You can look online and find like all of the arguments for the existence of God or like Thomas Aquinas's five proofs or like mm-hmm. Anselm's argument. Like you can find all those and you can find like really, really good podcasts on them. But I want to start with like, again, this experience that everyone lives in one way or another in front of these things that provoke the human heart. And I want to even like offer a, like often like, so what we're saying here is some of the most beautiful, powerful experiences that draw us out of ourselves. Like you're talking about of that experience of the mountain view off of Blood Mountain, which mm-hmm. I've hiked Blood Mountain too. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's so beautiful. And the, like the clouds just start taking it over. It, it is a tough hike though. Oh yeah. Well, for like a, for a first real hike, it's, it's kind of tough, but you get to a point where the trees start changing everything and you might like lose the blazes or like we like we ran into something where a tree had fallen and we weren't sure which direction to go and then we decided just to go up and we ended up finding other people that helped guide us the way uh but yeah besides that (laughs) no but like all of that is like yeah there's a reason that like the church goes on pilgrimage right Mm -hmm. to be reminded that like life is a journey right and this need to like move towards something but so much of, so what this is, is almost saying is like the, the religious sense and like basic religiosity is this recognition and like given of like wonder and awe at the givenness of reality that I do not make myself <laughs> at the origin of my eye is a you that there is another, a someone, a something, which we would call like the mystery or God. And what's fascinating is that we often live the opposite in the sense of we think that like our fulfillment and our happiness is actually in creating ourselves or making ourselves or conforming reality according to our image. I'm really intrigued by uh, the writer Walker Percy. He has this really funny book called Lost in the Cosmos. It's like a fake self-help book making fun of self-help books. (laughs) It's devastatingly funny. But one of the big points that he's asking is like, why is it that in the world that we have most conformed to our own image and made like most comfortable for ourselves that man feels more lost than ever? It's an interesting thing. We have like conformed, you know, like the temperature in here, I can set to my preference, right? Everything is like conformed to us. And yet man feels more lost than ever. And in fact, goes out to nature 
to this experience of givenness in order to like rediscover himself. Mm -hmm. Why is man the only being that is lost in the cosmos? So you have this like dynamic where we often live like trying to create ourselves or make ourselves. And yet we discover ourselves the most and even ask the question, who am I in the encounter with beauty and givenness? And I wanted to go to this section in Annie Dillard, beautiful writer. Um, but she has like in one of her essays, she starts with, she was reading, uh, this guy from the middle ages who said the idea of a thing, which a man framed for himself was always more real to him than the actual thing itself. Meaning like we often tend to create things according to our own image. And we live in that world where it's like our idea of the thing is more real than the thing itself. We live in our world of criteria. Man becomes the measure, right? Of all things. And she says, of course, I am in my own middle ages. The world at my feet, the world through the window is an illuminated manuscript whose leaves the wind takes one by one, whose painted illuminations and halting words draw me one by one. And I am dazzled in day and lost. There is in short, one country, one room, one enormous window, one cat, one spider, and one person, but I am myself hollow. So we live as if reality bends around us, but in that I lose myself, right? When I like, when, when I become the measure of all things. So we humankind, mankind are the only species that is lost. And then that raises the question of like, why, or like, how do we become found? How do we get this fulfillment in life? And so this raises like the question of selflessness, not looking completely for yourself and your own needs, but starting to care for other people. Yes. And that's a big part of it. And I want to like get to that as well. But even like, this is something like when I really, cause people talk about like finding themselves or like making themselves, mm -hmm. right. There is like an aspect of truth to that, but it's incomplete in the sense of uh, like, once again, when I get to the origin of my eye, I discover that I am, I did not make myself. So it's a question and it points to another, right? You even see this dramatically in the sense of people who get to a certain age and begin to do the like DNA tests mm -hmm. and like trying to figure out what, like where they're from. Yeah. Like this, like seeking, I need to figure out who I am. So I need to go to where I came from. Yeah. Kierkegaard says the quest for the self is nonsense. The self can only become the self when the self is transparently before God, mm -hmm. meaning like I can only discover my eye by following the full dynamic of my eye that leads to you. So then Annie Dillard in the next part of the essay uh, says, she's talking about salt. She said, I, I read the Armenians. I read salt, their newborn babies. I checked somewhere else. So did the Jews at the time of the prophets. They washed a baby in water, salted him and wrapped him in clothes. When God promised Aaron and all the Levites, all the offerings Israel made to God, the first fruits and the firstling livestock, all the best of the oil and all the best of the wine, he said of this promise, it is a covenant of salt forever. In the Roman church baptism, the priest once placed salt in the infant's mouth. And then she says, I salt my breakfast eggs all day long. I feel created, which is this thing of like the difference, right? Of like, I make myself... And I like, it's just me and like life bent around me. I feel hollow. And then this like sense of being a part of like something greater or this sense of reality of something greater. And she says like all day long, I feel created. Mm -hmm. I am made. Reality is given. Right. And again, the, I would propose that like see for yourself in your experience that this is not true. Right. Like what we're offering is that every single person has like this type of experience without maybe necessarily having a language for it. 
but part of like our growing and our humanity is developing a language for things. Even helping someone heal from trauma involves like putting a language to what happened. Mm-hmm. So what we're saying is like what every human being lives in some ways is a baseline religiosity of these moments of discovering reality is given and you did not make it. And there is something about reality that is pointing to a deeper mystery. Hmm. So the idea of salt stood out to me. Salt is for accentuating flavor or bringing out more of what's already there. And then I know this is a, this is a little off topic, but <laughs> I was, I was just curious, what was the idea behind Armenian salting their children? I have no idea why oh, well, for that part. I have no clue. I know like in the church, right? Like Jesus says, like you are the salt of the earth. Yeah. Right. And this thing of like what exactly what you said, salt brings out flavor that's already there. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to necessarily change it, but it brings out the best. Right. Even if you think about like when, and it's a good point, like you, you bring up a really good point and it's important, right? What we're talking about here of religiosity and the experience of God is not meant to take away from reality, mm-hmm. but is actually to lead it to completion, right? Uh, huh. Things are more beautiful in their relationship with something else. I have my like uh, some things that were given to me by my friends, right? Mm-hmm. The object itself is a good thing, but the fact that it comes from another makes it more precious. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So to like love God is to not lose the mountains Mm -hmm. or the stars or like your friends or music. People almost think of it that way. Like the religious person is the one who like forsakes everything. Mm -hmm. And there's an, but like, that's not actually what we mean, but like to love God is to like have the stars saved. Uh, Going back to that, it's, it's often that you find like everyone says is that it's the thought that counts mm-hmm. and it doesn't even really matter what the thing is, but the fact that someone had thought to like, I thought of you and yes. had, had this, had this intention of like showing that they care for you. That's really what matters. Yes. Reality. And we would say that like, even we live this in relationships, right? And you're getting to like the deeper thing. Reality is a sign pointing to a deeper reality. And if you think of what a sign is, you see a sign that says like Denver 40 miles, yeah. right? The sign is not Denver. It points to Denver. Yeah, exactly. You move in that direction, right? The example, like I, I think of a lot, is uh, imagine if it's Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. and suddenly, like, the person is like handing out the flowers, right? Mm-hmm. And as weird as it may be for like a dude to like receive flowers, I don't know. I personally don't <laughs> care much about flowers, right? But like suddenly, someone like brings you, like the messenger person brings you a flower. What is your first thought in front of that? Your first thought is, who is it from? Yes. Like the beauty, like the, the flower is a sign. And even the beauty of the flower is a sign pointing to a deeper reality. Who gave this to me? Yeah. What like the church proposes, even when we talk about like the sacramentality of the world is the sac, a sacrament, like sacramentum in Greek, mysterion, mystery is a sign that points to a deeper reality, right? The flower is a sign of something deeper and to look at the flower is to think of the person that gave it to you. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you know who gave it to you, like your immediate thought in receiving the flower is thinking of them, not of the flower. Right. So we would say reality, our experience of reality is actually like reality is a sign pointing to something deeper. And the natural question is exactly what Leopardi asks. Who are you and who am I? Right. 
that like being opened to like a greater world. And it doesn't just ask, who are you? But also like, who am I? What is my place in all of this? Right. I want to transition to like the second part of this. So like, that's the natural experience of religiosity that everyone has. Right. And this, like, if we're being honest in the moment of beauty or in the moment of discovery, uh, if there is a sense of the mystery, right. When a person gives you a gift, the natural response is like, thank you. Or like, I love you. Yeah. Right. You don't even have to think about it. Yeah. The natural response then in front of like this experience of this something in beauty is actually to be like, thank you. Or like, I love you. Right. Mm. Prayer, praise. Right. My like desire is actually like, think like people that do research could be some of the best people of prayer of like, my dream is to have like a people where like scientists do research and whenever they discover something beautiful, And in that moment of like elation and surprise and joy and also worry of like, I need to like make sure that this is, you know, like in all of that, that afterwards they would like go somewhere to like thank the one that the miss, like the sign points towards. Right. And that that's not outside of what you're doing. Right. So I know we have Valentine's day coming up and we've been talking about giving flowers. How can we tie this idea of religiosity and the idea of raising these questions of who Maybe that's not the best way to word it. No, but it's it's intimately connected. I'd like to talk more about this at some point, but there's a poet named Christian Wyman who said once, he said, I began to believe in God when I met my wife because I needed someone to thank. Mm -hmm. Meaning like her beauty and goodness was so clear. She was such a gift that it was clear to him, at least in that moment, that there was a giver. And to be fully in front of the event that was happening was to thank that giver. Right. Mm -hmm. That. So even like in that, like the other is a gift. There's a lot more even to say in like how to like live relationship. Like I think that like in relationships, like we actually like need C.S. Lewis's book, Four Loves is really helpful with this. But like in order for like love to be true, it needs to actually be like subservient to the greater love. It needs to recognize the dynamic of sign. Uh, and like that we actually need the mystery. We need God to actually like save this love between us for me to accept the other as a gift and not to like grasp or possess. There's more to say about that. And actually like this kind of transitions well into like the next part of this is often our tendency to in front of reality as a sign, right. Mm -hmm. And in front of this like dizzying reality, we often tend to the thing that awakens our heart. We often tend to like worship. There's usually, I think I would argue everybody worships something. Everybody, like the most non-believing, whatever, everybody worships something, meaning they bend the knee to something and they give their life to something. This is worth giving my life to, right? Everybody bends the knee to something, right? Uh, whatever that looks like. I would, I would argue that like, especially at like a place like Georgia Tech or like a, especially an institution of higher learning, often we bend the knee to success to power like actually like we like desire like ourselves to be worshipped right but everybody worships something the question is 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 what you're worshiping worth worshiping because i think like this is when when like old testament they talk about idolatry this is actually what we're talking about in the sense of the flowers are a sign of the beloved but you stop at the level of the flowers and stay there right Mm -hmm. it's not that the flowers are bad 
that's that they're a sign. And like, it's not that things in reality are bad, but in man's attempt to be in relationship with the infinite, we often stop at the level of the thing and worship that. And like, that doesn't work. Right. Yeah. But basically asking this thing of like, that everybody lives religiosity mm-hmm. and, but often, and people don't realize it. And because of that, everybody's worshiping something and we actually tend to worship bad things or yeah. things that don't actually correspond to the heart. Mm-hmm. So we're worshiping something that doesn't actually give us love back. Yeah. And we would never use that language of worship. Right. Uh, but like there's a, uh, a scene from, David Foster Wallace's infinite jest, one of the characters early on, I think it's the, like the, the second chapter uh, is going through his like ritual mm-hmm. of when he like takes a day to go on a bender and get really, really high. Yeah. And he describes it as like a religious ritual because it's the same thing every single time. Mm-hmm. And it has almost this like seriousness and solemnity every single time. Right. There's this like aspect of worship within it. You know, and like, I think that I would argue even like some of our most like successful people in the modern world, like live a religiosity. The question is, is, is what they're giving themselves to worth worshiping? You know, that's the real question. Hmm. At the end of the day, the thing that you're devoting the most time to, is it going to love you back? Yeah. And it's not even just necessarily the thing you most give your time to, but like the thing that you give your heart to. Yeah. That's about, that's a better way to put it. Yeah. Does it like, does it love you back? Yeah. Which going to like the most successful people in the, in the world, in the United States, uh, you hear so often is that I like, get the end of the day, people who have a lot of money aren't happy and they aren't fulfilled. And that, that, get, that raises this question of why. And it's because money can never love you back, but people can and the church always will. Yeah. Like there's a, the, like the, the heart is made for more. Right. And so even thinking about like, we're talking about like, I saw this interview with Tom Brady. It's really fascinating where they're talking to like Tom Brady, like you have all these awards. You're one of the, like the best football players, whatever. Your wife is a Victoria's secret supermodel, Mm -hmm. you know? And he's like, yeah, but I feel like there's something missing. There's a something more. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he has all of these amazing things and he's like, there's something missing that like whatever I would argue that that is like the mystery. That is God. Like that is the thing that reality is pointing towards and things in reality awaken this sense and yet don't fulfill it. It's always asking, who are you? What is this? Right. There's always a, like something more within it. Um, And that what's funny is that even like often like the things that we worship, some of them can be like really, really destructive. I'm so fascinated with those like in recovery of addiction and like anyone following the 12 step program knows in recovery, like the first thing is like admitting you have a problem and you're helpless to it, right? Like you cannot solve this on your own. And I love that phrase they always give, like your best thinking got you here. (laughs) Like I was the origin of my eye. I lived as if I'm the measure and I ended up like destroying myself. And then in front of that part of the steps is like relying on a higher power. And in like the recovery program language, they're like, look, anything can be your higher power. Cause lots of, there's like a real correlation. I heard the journalist John Waters talk about like, there's a real connection between uh, actually addiction and atheism. Mm-hmm. It's a whole other thing. Right. But so like many of them have like a really, really difficult time. Right. Like those, like they have a really hard time with all of the God stuff. And yet like 
it works if you like work like the process if you do the steps it's a really fascinating thing but like in order to make it through you actually have to rely on a higher power you have to depend you have to like lean on this like mystery and it's like i can't stop at the level of signs or at the creature like when i do that i destroy myself yeah it's fascinating so you see like talking about like, and I wanted to hit this at like a, a bunch of different lenses, right? Of like the wonder of science and like truth seeking, the wonder of beauty, the wonder of relationship, you know, and then in front of the problem too, in front of death, Takashi Nagai being like, no, this is unacceptable. And then in the language of like addiction and recovery, like all of reality points towards something, right? Points towards the mystery with a capital M. Jasani says, uh, man is a relationship with the infinite. There's always a something more. And so to live real religiosity is to keep that door open mm-hmm. and to be open to that infinite, that mystery. And even more deeply to have like an, like if, if in front of that experience, it's who are you and who am I? Then the really, really honest thing to do is to beg for the mystery or for whatever that is to reveal itself to me. Again, Lord Huron very beautifully saying, if you are who you say you are, show me your face. Right. That is like at the level of religiosity that like everyone can live. And I want to say more about like uh, Christianity and Catholicism, but I wanted to do like a a baseline uh, introduction to what we mean by, yeah, like religiosity and the religious sense and like what we live like every day. Does that make sense? You have any questions? (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Okay. Great. I, if anyone's interested for further reading, again, I would recommend, uh, it's a little dense, but it's beautiful. Monsignor Luigi Gisani's Religious Sense. And then also the first few sections of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which begins with man's like desire and yearning for God. It starts baseline there. It's really beautiful. And so like, I think that those are helpful things for further reading. Wow. Well, thank you for coming in today and speaking on religiosity, Father Branson. And for our beloved audience, feel free to email us at podcast at gtcatholic.org. This has been one hell of a Catholic podcast. (laughs) And uh, we'll be coming out with many more episodes this semester. We encourage you to go back and re-listen, to think and ponder, and to share this with your peers. 